Hey guys, welcome to the show, Jungle Brothers Podcast. It's Joey here, and today's chat is myself and a fella named Trent Baldock. Now, Trent's got some big energy. I first met Trent many years ago when I lived in Bondi. He's a local Bondi boy, and he refers to the area as Scum Valley, which is a story in and of itself about the heritage of the area. Uh, we reconnected some time ago when he was down at our gym as part of the Rise Foundation Australia Walk the Walk. Now, if you know us, you know we do quite a bit of work with the Rise Foundation. They are fighting for mental health awareness and helping to educate the community about um, the realities of mental health. Trent is a close friend of Ben Higgs, the founder of the organization, and feels very passionately about the mental health piece himself. He was there at the walk. We got to spend a couple of hours together, walking, chatting, getting to know each other. I find him to be a super fascinating guy. He's come up through the hardcore music scene. He has his own band called Relentless. He's toured the world with his band. They've started their own record label in order to, to get themselves out there. He's a marriage celebrant. He was straight edge for over a decade. And he's now an advocate for mental health. And he's an unlikely hero. He never wanted to be in the position he's in, but he's found himself having quite a bit of influence within his community. And I think it's a really special thing to highlight. So really epic chat with Trent. We had some big storms rolling in on the day. It was a Friday evening. Um, I get the storm about 10 minutes or five minutes before he does. Uh, I'm in the inner west. Trent is in Bondi. So, you know, cool thing. It, I think it kind of messed up the connection just momentarily at the start of the episode, but it, it levels out pretty quickly. Um, really epic chat. Trent's fighting for an amazing cause. If you enjoy the episode, please share it. Send it to someone who would like it help to support what we're doing, but also help to get Trent's message out there and support what he's doing. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoy the show with Trent Baldock. Trent Baldock, we're live, my brother. How are we? Mate, good. How are you? I'm very well. Friday afternoon, just finished work. I had a lovely shower, put on some fresh clothes. I'm feeling ready to chat. Mate, you've got a um, an impressive backdrop there with the the sneakers. I'm I'm guessing this is a bit a bit in that scene of the sneaker pimp kind of collection vibe. Oh, it's bad, and I keep getting written off. Like, I've bought shoes for people, and they wear them. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, you know, unlike <laughs> you, we wear the sneakers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sorry. Sometimes I double down collectibles, and I wear one. I shelve one. Yeah. Is yeah. that is that what for for people who are in that realm like you? Is that how you do it? You buy two, wear one, store the other? Sometimes. Like, it, it all, this all started years ago when I, like, loved my first pair of um, classic. I think they're all authentic or oh, not even old school. Like, one of the original Vans, these light blue leathers. And I was like, yeah, I mean, sorry, canvas. And I was like, amazing. Look at they fit. So I bought them, wore them home. I'm like, I need another pair. And they sat on my shelf. And then they never made that color again. And then I once mine had got holes in, I wore them again. Everyone's like, whoa, look at them. I'm like bought them years ago i just had two pairs so i was like i was like this is this is how you do it you do it you thrash one and then you've always got your favorite pairs on restock when they're ready it's a funny human um uh human quality where we like to hoard things oh and i i've always done it myself like i will um i can i when i open my t-shirt drawer i've got all of my good t-shirts which i fold like it's in a shop so you can yep. you know so it's perfect and yep. You know, and then I've got my old T-shirts that I fold in a less flattering way, and they go to the side, and I train in those ones. Yeah. And then the other ones, I just you know I wear when I when I got to look crisp. But the fucking thing is, and I, I I laugh about this quite often, is some of those new ones are ten years old. Oh. But I keep them in such good condition because I'm so anal about that. Yeah. Shit. Mine's even worse. Mine will be 
I've got my shitty ones that are 20 years old, my newer ones that are a week, like 10 years old, and I still haven't worn them. And I'll keep <laughs> thrashing the old beaters being like, no, they've just got a little bit more in them. I don't want to try the new one yet because then I have to throw the old one out. So I just keep, I keep the old beaters going. And yeah, my closet and shit, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the opposite of reverse savings. It's like I'm paying for stuff that sits there and gets shelved, never worn, never looked at. <laughs> and I don't even think they're increasing in value a lot of them. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> God. Mate, where does that um where does that come from in your like, you know, you're in the hardcore scene, which is yep. something I wanted to quiz you a bit about, but where where does that create like that freshness come from? What what is that a is that something you picked up growing up in the eastern suburbs? I don't even know, because funny enough, if you knew me growing up, especially a couple of people like Pilks and other people in my band, I dress shit. Like I have the nicest stuff, but I don't wear them. So, like, my fashion sense is, like, I have the best fashion sense, but the worst fashion attire. <laughs> it's the worst. Like, even, like, um, I've had my girl around, and she'll be like, why don't you wear any of these? Like, can you wear a nice pair of shoes out to dinner? I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's the right occasion. It's like, well, what is the occasion? If, I, if you don't wear them out with dinner with me, when do you wear them? Like, but I, um, no, I don't know. When I was younger, I always, I could never afford this stuff. So I think it was more an independence thing for me. So when I was younger, I was the, the Target, I would rip Target, rip, rip tags off my Target clothes or I'd get one pair of Etnies, little Velcro Etnies or something. And I had one auntie, auntie, she used to take every one of us, our five kids shopping for our birthday. That was the only time of year she took us. And we used to get one outfit. So we get one pair of, Billabong boardies and one Quicksilver tea, and I never had any brands, so that was like my 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 gold there. You know what I mean? Like I had the old Ocalupo, like um, <clears throat> flower shorts, and like a, and that was just all. So I think when I finally worked my ass off, and a lot of kids this day and age are rocking like thousand dollar shoes at the age of fifteen, but I'm glad I didn't because now I um, worked my ass off, and I pay for it up front. No one ever paid for it. And so even if I buy two of them, I can look at them and be like, I did that. You know what I mean? And it's definitely like, it's definitely like people can look at their house and go like, I built this, but I'm not there yet. But with my shoe collection, I'm proud. And with my clothes that I, I've got to a point in my life where I don't have to struggle or do anything bad to get the money to do that. And I can work hard and I have these things to show for it. And you just gives yourself a little bit of like, not self-worth, but a bit of accomplishment that could never happen when I was younger. And I was always told myself one day I'd love to have like like Nikes when I was younger. I could never afford Nikes. Like my dad owned a sportswear company and I'd rock hand-me-downs from then and then my brothers would get that. So I think definitely definitely in the hardcore scene, Nikes. That's where I found Nikes. Air Max Ones. All the bands that I grew up watching were like Air Max Ones. Like 100%. So I think so that was where my infatuation started with shoes. Nikes are synonymous, like, with the hardcore scene? They're popular there? Well, funny enough, so, like, growing up, I reckon I would see, like, Vans and Globe and DC as skate shoes, and then I'd see, like, streetwear, like, definitely the F, um, the, like, Nike, um, like, the Air Max 1s and Lights and 90s and all them were very very big in the hardcore scene to me. So uh, back in the day when I was growing up, it was like it was like a baggy tee, um, what are they called, Dickies pants, and a pair of Nikes. Like that yep. was just 
no brand, not big brands, no expensive stuff, just simple. And that was it with like a camo flat brim hat or something like that. Yeah. Um, the culture's definitely changed. The fashion's definitely changed over the years, but skating to me growing up was DC and globe. And my first inkling and finding about Nikes would have been through the hardcore, just seeing, mate, it was like a fashion show without being like a fashion show. You know what I mean? Like, You'd see five dudes up there, and sometimes they'd be wearing the same color Nikes. And it was definitely when American bands would come over here because I didn't have that much money growing up and I didn't see that. And the American bands would come over and they'd just get their Nikes for like 80 bucks over there or 110. So they'd fly over with the best Air Max, and you'd be like, all right, <laughs> like, fuck, nice. I feel that. Yeah. It's like a little what fashion was- show of five dudes walking nice. What was that? That was like, like when you were growing up in the 90s, late 80s? How old are you? Yeah, so I was born in 86. I started going to shows 03, 04. So, yeah, I was probably in my teens, skatey, surfy, punk. Yeah, late 90s. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. Back then, the man, has the storm hit your end yet? No, but it's getting dark. Is oh, it dude, it's hammering down here. Your <laughs> yeah, it's kicking off. For anyone listening, it's, um, it's Friday afternoon, <laughs> late Friday, oh, yeah. I've a big storm's rolling in. Trent, you're in, you're in Maroubra or Bondi? Nah, North Bondi, North Bondi. North Bondi, my bad. And I'm in Balmain, so we're, we're both scoping the same, the same weather coming in. Um, but it's funny, back in the, I remember back then when I, I used to skate at around, at around that time. I was born in 83, so I was skating in the 90s and stuff. And it was, yeah. um, if, you, if you were lucky enough, like if you knew someone that got to travel to America, they always came back with the best shit. And it was like stuff that you couldn't get here. Yeah. And even if you could, you couldn't afford it. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. Being not even that. Like, it's it was it was. I think our internet's really slow. Yeah, I think the storm's giving us giving us Um, a little bit of trouble. Yeah, it's a bit of grief. Um, we'll just talk slow in between talks, so we go back and forth. Let me let me try this. Um, I'm just going to turn. I'm going to turn my camera off. Let's just go with that for a minute and see and see if the connection improves. Is that better? Okay. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, so as you said about your friends will travel overseas, it'd be similar to us. I'd be the same, um, except uh, when I went over there, it was like a whole new experience. So I landed in America. First time I went over there, I went over with two suitcases to tour. And I ended up buying eight pairs of Nikes. I ended up six pairs of Dickies pants. I got every color tortilla, 15 flat brims. I got all this stuff, like so many different pieces and you'd come back because everything was so much cheaper over there and like you just get it. Whereas he's over here like 180 bucks where Dickie's over there like $12 a pair of pants. Like it's like workwear. So it got to the point that the, the second time I went to America, you take a backpack and you buy everything over there. You go over there with a backpack and you buy your suitcase, you buy your clothes, socks, underwear, like pennies. And yeah, you can, you save so much money touring America. Mate, tell me about um, tell me about your. I'm putting my camera back on just because it doesn't feel right to speak to the blank That's screen. Right. Um, yeah. Tell me <laughs> about tell me about your band and tell me about the hardcore scene. Like, so I'll tell I'll tell you my only run in with the hardcore scene was uh, when I lived in Bondi in the apartment yep. where I met you, where I lived with my cousin Rick, and he said to yep. me, "Dude, I want to have um, I want to have a hardcore show at our place." And I was like, oh, that's cool. Thank yeah, you. like, I'm down. Well, what's that? And he's like, well, you know, we're going to have a few bands coming in. There's a couple of my mate's band. There's another mate's band. Then there's this, there's this band who are in town from Japan. 
and they're all going to play here in the living room and it'll be sick. And I was like, fuck, whatever. We already had a, we already had a skate ramp, like a half pipe in the living room. Skate park in the air. Yeah. Exactly. yeah so, so I'm like, oh, whatever, I guess a concert. Yeah. And, and to me, I'm like hardcore. It never made sense because uh, I'd never heard of the genre and it sounds like, like it sounds like techno. I'm like, I'm thinking it's like, I knew it wasn't, but I just kind of, yeah. I didn't picture hardcore that it was, that it, I didn't figure it was a metal thing. Um, anyway, we had this fucking hardcore show and it was awesome. And the yeah. place was full of people. And I remember taking a bunch of photos and shit, but that was all I knew of it. And it's not, and every now and again, some, I'll meet someone and they'll be into it. And obviously I met you along that way through my cousin. Can you give us a background on, on what that scene's like yeah. and what it is? Yeah. Um, so it's pretty much, it's pretty much like, it's like a underlying subculture of like-minded kids that share, share love for heavy punk hardcore music and, um, pretty much connect on the same level. Um, lots of outcasts, lots of unheard, um, um, lost kids pretty much. Um, and they just found this home inside this, this, this new family pretty much it's, it's positive aggression. That's the way I can probably say it. So as you've seen, you've seen, you've seen like hardcore music firsthand and it probably blew your mind. You're like, Whoa, this is a bunch of violent people jumping around, punching each other, yes, crowd intense. surfing, front flipping. But then the song will stop and everyone stares at the crowd, silent, wanting, wanting to hear what the singer says. And then he'll talk about his values, his morals and where he grew up and this song means this and it took him through a hard time in his life with this and everyone's like feeling and then boom, the next song comes in and it's fucking chaos again. And I think it's just the fact that a lot of people that just could never find a place in society or never find a place in the world could adapt and that was like home for them. They definitely found connected and that was definitely for me. I was always a smaller, not the sportiest, not the, definitely not the smartest. Um, um, wasn't that athletic. So I didn't fit in anywhere. I was almost like the cool kid with the not the cool kids and not the cool kid with the cool kids. So <laughs> I was always like, I'd hang out with like all these cool guys, but I was always on the outskirts. And then, um, and then all the other kids who were the outcasts like me because I knew the cool guys. And so I'd always just be in the middle, but I was almost never good enough for either. And you were always just trying to find your way. And then when I was younger, I used to drink a lot. I uh, had a bunch of problems with that. With the skate park, I just saw um, the way people were acting around alcohol and through through the subculture of punk hardcore um, I found out about Straight Edge as well, which pretty much at that time in my life saved my life. I I chose sobriety and didn't drink as you have a sip of beer. This is a great story. <laughs> Ice cold beer, delicious. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that part of my life, Hardcore introduced me to something called Straight Edge, which is abstaining from drugs and alcohol. And for the next 11 and a half years, I was sober, traveled the world. Um, went some amazing places, did some amazing things. And without hardcore, I would have never found out about being told that you don't have to drink. Like, um, you don't, you, you know what I mean? Like you're growing up being like, you're not cool unless you drink. You don't fit in a party unless you drink. So I learned about that through the hardcore music and it pretty much saved my life and was able to take me around the world. So, 
Um, that was pretty much my experience. I'm very grateful with my my um, the band that I've made. I just got to shut my window. We're going crazy now. Yeah, bro, it's kicking off over there. The rain's about to hit me. Um, so yeah, <laughs> just my chilled band, out on this side. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, it's coming over here. So, Relentless, um, a Sydney hardcore band that's been together. I'm the front man for about 13 years now. We all, <coughs> excuse me, we all met at shows. Never knew each other. We were all there for the same reason, watching, watching music, getting a release um, on a Friday evening. Probably had a shitty week, wanted to listen to heavy music, um, get a bit of the aggression out. And then through that, we started the band. Over the past 13 years, we've released three full lengths. Uh, turn the curse. Uh, no, two full lengths, an EP and a demo. Um, we've been to America twice. Europe once, Southeast Asia twice, New Zealand once, and around Australia many, many times. Um, so grateful for those opportunities. And it's been during this lockdown that we've really reconnected because we haven't been doing much lately. I've been speaking to my boys in Relentless and we're just, we're actually still trying to fathom what we've done. Like the festivals we've played, the bands we've played with, we'll text each other and be like, well, do you remember when we watched the sunrise in Arizona while we were driving through from Phoenix to Flagstar? And I'm just like, man. Who would have ever thought, like, really? Like, that is, yeah, like, little things like that. Like, oh, yeah, we're just cruising through the Grand Canyon before we're playing a show. Fuck, there's five of us in a Ford Explorer for 30 days sitting upright with the whole back. Like, yeah, it's just a dream. Like, it's amazing to look back at now when everything, when lockdown came in and everything just came to a hold and you start reminiscing on the things. I'm definitely grateful that I can look back and see it some of the things that I was grateful to do. I saw that you started your own record label, Dogfight. Yep, Dogfight Records. Is was that has that nurtured like have has that been the label for Relentless from the beginning or was that more of a recent thing? Nah, that was that was pretty much Relentless was the reason why that started. So myself in Relentless and then the front man of a band back in the day called No Love Lost, Daniel Pilkington. The two of us were singing in bands. We had nothing out. And we came to each other. We're like, why do we keep messaging all these people asking us to book us on tours? Why do we keep messaging all these people to um, put out our records? Why don't we just do it? So the two of us kind of came together. And that was where um, we started Dogfight Records. And the first, we released a band from Melbourne. We released a band from Sydney. And then the other two bands were another Lost and Relentless. So that was our first thing. Like going back 2008, I think, 2008 now. We probably first, we started 2008, 2007, 2009, somewhere around there. Yep. And um, then from there, other bands have broken away, but Relentless is now with Resist for our last record. So on our early stuff is on Dogfight Records. And then the most recent was with Resist Records from Newtown, who do amazing things for the hardcore scene in Australia and definitely the world. Um, but yeah, dogfight, mate. Back in the day, um, even I did a podcast not that long ago with a more hardcore-based one, and he just had this list of everything that we'd done, and it was mind-boggling yet again. I'm like, all the releases, and this was back in the day when there was no Instagram. Like we used to print demo CDs and handwrite on them, like burn oh. CDs. Yeah. Like we weren't as old school as cassette tapes, but still burning your three-song demo to hand out <laughs> at shows, printing your flyers, like. I don't think people even, they do a demo now. It's just on YouTube. Like, I don't think anyone's ever flied for a show before. Like, 
standing at the front of a show, handing out flyers for my band or for as a record label owner, handing out shows, being like, hey, what are you doing next week? Come to this. It's like it's all one post now. It's all Instagram. Like, it's, it's crazy to see what we had to do back then. And even thinking now, hearing like bands like Marble and Terror talking about what they did when they started. And then this is still, this is hard for me to fathom. So I can't imagine what they were doing before even MySpace and Facebook and like. So, yeah, that was the record label. And right now, I still have stock. Um, the, the site's down right now. We're about to relaunch it just on a different platform for selling. More so like a Shopify platform rather than the blog, which I used to have because I just never, I didn't have enough time to fill out weekly stuff and talk. So I just... It's just going to become, when it gets relaunched, it's just going to be a store now. Just a little storefront. And there is potential. I've definitely spoken to a couple of people to get some old renewed stuff put into vinyl, some other things. So maybe in 2022, we might revamp with some with some little releases or something. Um, but really just have to wait and see. What do you think about that accessibility to to marketing and stuff that we have now? Like, it's easy to get flyers printed and you can put stuff on YouTube and Instagram and it's all digital. Do you think any of that makes it easier for someone who's trying to start a band or get their name out there? Or is it, do you still have to trudge up the same hills to get shit done? You still have, do you know what I'm going to say? It's, it is incredibly easier, but also you're jumping through the same hoops. So what you've got to think of is the fact that if I can go to a show and hand out a flyer or print off a demo, so can the other band, that might be looking to get in the same slot as a show for me. You know what I mean? Or they want to get the attention of the record label. So now everyone's got the same, if you're going to spend the money, everyone's got the same platform. So the accessibility is there the same. It just depends on how you attack it. So um, back when I was growing up, I started to do, I was calling it like guerrilla advertising. Like I think this is big now. I'm not too sure, but, so I would just message everyone over Australia and be like, hey, who wants to get a free show to this? And I'd send them a flyer, a T-shirt, and a bunch of stickers. And then so whenever the show was coming through there, there'd be stickers up, they'd be flying, they'd have it to like, so everywhere would take care of themselves. And you kind of got to use the platform to your advantage. So the digital side of it, you're accessible to a lot more people, but people's attention span is so fucking small now because it's so easy. Back in the day, if you were, you know, with a cassette, you wanted to skip a song, you had to either listen to it or get it out and move it. Yeah. Um, same with CDs. Yeah, you, ha- you have to get up, walk to the fucking discipline or the vinyl and skip it. Yeah. Whereas now, I could be running, like, what's her name? Siri or that fucking YouTube thing in another room connected to another thing and I could just go, ASOS, change the song. Like, cancel <laughs> that song. Change the channel. Like, I hate this song. You, Never play this song to me again. Exactly. <laughs> Cancel it off my list. Or um, like well, even with digital stuff, you kind of pretty much have to make the first 10 seconds of any clip the best part of the clip. Yeah. Because if you put on like even a song now, like I'm definitely to blame. Like it's, mate, I could go through, back in the day, I'd be like Madball, my youth, boom, straight in. Listen, skip this song, not my favorite. Oh, yep. Whereas now I'll be halfway through a song and go to Spotify and change it to another just because I can. Yeah. And it's just, I can go from artist to artist to, to discography to like your accessibility is insane. Yeah. Whereas back in the day, revolutionary was a fucking six stack CD player. You could go through six. 
Yeah, you know I what I mean? Say, like that yeah. was that was a fucking that was a pimp car. Like fuck, that's coming <laughs> up in the world. Whereas you'd listen to a CD all the way through because you didn't want to change it because there was so much to do. It was a lot harder to do it. So it made you listen and you got to listen to everything. But now like attention spans so hard, like so short marketing, everything, everything's so digital and you kind of, it's the, it is a rough mark. It's harder out there. I reckon it's harder back in the day to get your music out, but now it's harder to keep people's attention. Yeah. Getting the music good. out easy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Does that change? Does that change the nature of the music at all, or do you still, in terms of how you guys put songs together, does that process still play out the same? Well, fifty-fifty. Like we write a lot in the studio together, but now with the digital age, like it, it definitely grows it a bit. So you still have the connection, even though you're not in the same room. Like we, like a lot of people write stuff through Zoom now, but you do have the point where. If we're like when we did our last record, we did pre pro, we used to do pre production with um, Nick Jeff from Terry in America. Now, usually we'd fly over here, we'd do a week of the songs, and he'd, he'd tell us what he likes and what to change and what he thinks would work and slow tempos and everything, and then we record. Whereas leading up to the last record, we sent him everything. He came over to Australia, and this is six years ago, so I can't imagine what it's like now, but he flew over here with all the demo tracks being like, all right, I know the record back to front. I'm telling you the track ordering, I know the listing, I know how I wanted to play um, this song. Like, So we were able to send it over to another country prior. And now, now they're probably doing it through, like we're having a Zoom conversation. I could probably be playing my guitar here, plugged into a MIDI system, Bluetooth into you, and you're recording it in Balmain. Wow. You know, I reckon that shit's, yeah, so... You probably lose the connection because same thing. Back in the day, I'd be at a show handing out flyers, being like, come to my show. When you see me, I'll be at the front of the stage. This is the face of Relentless, blah, blah, blah. Whereas now it's just from the Relentless page of uh, a picture. So you lose that connection with the crowd. Same thing with doing the writing and stuff. You don't have the intimacy of, especially for bands that don't have the money. If you've got the money, you rent a studio for two months and you just write a record together. You know what right. I mean? But... A lot of American bands, they even live in different states. Some Australian bands do too. So <clears throat> it's definitely, you definitely lose the connection of writing side by side. But as I said, the, 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 the advantages of technology now make, make things incredibly amazing and simple. Have you worked a, you're a carpenter. Have you worked that job the whole time through this music career or is that, no, so that's pretty much the whole reason why I'm actually thinking of writing a book one day or doing a list of it's just going to be called Jack of All Trades, Master of None because everyone asks me about what I've done and you name it, I've done it. So the reason that Relentless took a big step back is because I got to like 29 in my life and I was like, guys, I've got nothing to fall back on. I, I don't have anything. So I've been offered this opportunity to do an apprenticeship and from the age of 29 to 31, that was when I did my apprenticeship. And it was probably, I don't even know when that was. I can't even count. But anyway, it was like four or five years ago now. And, um, or six years ago now. So I started that. So I couldn't travel for three years. I could go into state and bits and pieces, but it definitely put Relentless on hold. Um, but then I got my apprenticeship done and I'm able to travel now. But because I pulled the handbrake on Relentless then, if we start again, we'd have to really build it back up. 
I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't regret doing it because now I've got a solid paying job. I've got a, I've got a, a trade. If I ever want to do relentless stuff or sing for another band or go to America, I can always take time off and know I can get a job in America. So it was definitely a time in my life where I thought the band was going to be the be all and end all. And that's my life. But I needed something to fall back on. But during the time of traveling and touring, I went from driving a forklift out of Port Botany, rubbish removal. I was like a garbo. I worked at a desk at a tattoo shop. I managed a kebab shop in King's Cross. Um, I did laser tattoo removal for a bit. Um, what else? Yeah. Oh, mate, I was a pool tiler. Um, yeah, fuck. Every, anything, like even Dennis, my guitarist, needed work. So I was just through these job hierarchies. I worked night shift from 7 till 7, 7 p.m. to 7 in the morning at a milk factory in like Meadow Lee out like Botany Way or out there stacking milk cartons for eight hours, for like 12 hours straight through the night or plastic, like any factory work because I would literally live off touring. That was my, that was my escape. Nothing else mattered. I definitely paid for it now, 20 years later, trying to pay off all my debt and my credit rating, but I would live off a credit card. So I'd be like driving a forklift. Hey, Trent, um, week and a half, want to get you to Queensland. Done, sweet. Sorry, guys, can't work. Well, you're going to lose your job. All right, sorry. And I'll just get a loan or get a credit card, go away. Wow. Come back, have to get a new job. I don't know. That's just the way, yeah. And so the- I just worked, I got whatever I could. And the touring was all on your dime. Yeah, so it got to the point that we did Southeast Asia. I think that was probably one of the better deals. Like, I think we paid for one flight. And then when we were there, each promoter paid for us to go to each different place. And then the last one paid for us home. But every time we flew to Europe or America, we paid the flights. And then most of the shows and merch covered everything in there. So we would take time off work. The way I explain it to people is everyone's like, you're in a band? You went, fuck, where's all the money? I'm like, bro, I pretty much just... Had a free holiday for seven years. Like that was it. I had a free holiday. I'd pay. I'd pay for my flights two grand, and then you'd have food at every show, drink. You'd sleep on people's floors. The band paid for petrol. Your merch money kind of gave you a little bit extra food, and then if you wanted shopping, you'd pay for that yourself. But it was just like a very, very cheap free holiday. Backpacking. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 um. It's interesting to hear that because yeah, for sure. People listen, they're like, man, you got a record label, like you're a music producer and you got a band to it around the world. Like it, it, it sounds, yeah. sounds like you're living it up. <laughs> it's all Instagram. It's all pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke and mirrors, brah. You tell me. <laughs> do you, would you change anything if you were going to do it again? Nah, not at all. Not at all. Nah. Cause like I'm no longer straight edge. I started drinking again. Don't regret that at all. The non-drinking part of my life saved my life. Drinking now, I can choose. I just did 50 days sober because I told myself I can. I was getting a bit bad at some point. So I said, Trent, you need to pull yourself up. And I was like, I've done it for 12 years. I can do 50 days. So I did it. And I can tell myself, it's like I'm in control now. Um, Plus, I'm not telling myself that if I want to have a glass of red wine with my mother for a 50th birthday or 60th birthday, I can have one glass of red with my mum and then I can drive home. But back in the day when I was straight edge, I was like, no, not at all. So I was living by another set of rules. And so it kind of clashed with my, my morals. But then, then started drinking again, traveling, pulling a pin on the band, 
said no to a couple of tours, don't regret that. Turned a couple of things down, don't regret that. Um, and then getting the trade. Mate, I took pretty much a 50% pay cut from a big chunk to a small chunk as like a 30-year-old paying rent, paying a car and barely scraping by. And, mate, I've come up. This is probably the most comfortable and best I've been. And I'm 35. Like, I've just come. I've gone full circle. Um, wouldn't change a thing. I'm so grateful of where I am. Um, the opportunities I've been given, the people I've met, like, yeah, I've got a terrible memory, but I wish I wrote down a lot of my stories, but when people see me, they're like, oh, didn't you do, and then it rehashes, and I think it's so, I've I've been very grateful the the opportunities I've been given, the things, I never thought I'd ever, ever really leave Bondi or Australia, never alone with two different bands, go to America four times in Europe and, and have those opportunities. Tell me about the straight edge piece. Last time I saw you in person, I quizzed you on this because I found it super fascinating. And my cousin Rick, our mutual yep. friend, he was straight edge when I met him. Um, yep. And I, I mean, I, you know, I just knew that it meant he didn't do, uh, he didn't, didn't drink alcohol or do any drugs. But yep. uh, tell, tell me what it is for the uninitiated. Um, so straight edge is kind of like a subgenre, uh, like sorry, like a subculture underneath hardcore. It's usually in the punk hardcore scene. Um, it was pretty much a band back in the day called Minor Threat. Um, I think it's Ian McKay, um, the singer. He was making some flies one day and he used to, he never drank, never took drugs. And he described his lifestyle as a ruler. It's a straight edge of a ruler. It's, that's just the, the way he, he lived his life was straight down the line. Um, pretty much abstaining from drugs and alcohol, meaning you were clean body and mind. Um, Every action that you did and everything you did, you did it solely for yourself because you were never under the the strain of substance. You had nothing else in your in your system telling you otherwise. And um, it was pretty much like I saw it as a rebellious thing too, because in a in a culture where, and I explained to someone today at work, in a culture where you used to come home from work and your dad would be like, "Fuck, that was the hardest day of work," and then go open a beer, light a cigarette, sit on his chair. Ah, you'd be like, oh, if I ever have a shit day, drugs and cigarettes, will, that's, that's the way out. Mum had a stressful day at work. She comes home, glass of wine and a cigarette out the back, blowing up at Jennifer on the phone that she had a shit day. It's like, well, that's the way, that's our culture. Australian culture is like, if you're having a rough day, alcohol and cigarettes cures everything. So it's ingrained in us for a young age. And then I just started seeing younger kids around me. I was down at Bonner Skate Park and it was one day, I can remember it as clear as day. And um, all the young kids were drinking with the older boys, brown paper bags. And then one kid rocks up and just like dumps out of his hoodie all these like bottles. And I was like, what the fuck? He raided his mum's um, like medicine cabinet. I was like, what the fuck? And then all the older boys were like, oh, I wonder what we got here. And I was looking at that being like, I'm still young, but if this is the fucking demographic and the like, the legacy I'm leading, like, or that they're leading, I said, fuck that. I don't want to be part of that. There's no way that I want the future to follow up in my footsteps and look at me and think it's cool at 13, 14 to steal your mum's prescription medicines, come down the skate park and drink them with the older boys. Like, so um, alcohol was big in my family as well. And that was another big thing that I saw different things fall apart due to that. And just the, the combination of them both, I was like, mate, <clears throat> I refuse to be a part of this. So I abstained from it. Um, it, was a re- it was more of a rebellious thing at the time. I was like, 
everyone drinks because it's cool. Fuck you. You're doing it to fit in, so fuck you. I'm not drinking. And everyone's like, oh, you're a loser. You don't drink. I'm like, no. I'm almost, not that I'm better than you, but you, drinking's easy. Try not to drink. Let's see how much you do that kind of thing. And then it just got to the point that I started going back on myself. After about 12 or 15 years when I was a little bit older and I had a girlfriend and things, I was like, hang on a second. I've been living by this trying to be the big rebel and shit. Like, fuck you. I'm not going to do what you tell me. But yet I've been living by a whole new set of rules. And that was when I was like, hang on a second. Now I'm, now I'm just being someone I don't think I am kind of thing. Or who's, who's me to tell me that I can't do something when I should be in charge of it? And I had a bit of, bit of um, identity crisis there for a bit. <clears throat> um, and that was when I pulled one of my best mates aside and I said, mate, this is what's going on. He's like, really? I go, yeah, I just feel weird. I go, I go, it's almost, and it's probably weird. I've explained this to people years ago, and it's probably weird saying it now, but it'll be like someone saying that they're gay, but they're telling themselves they're not. So it's like, I never used to drink, but I'll be like, oh, I really want to be, no, you can't, no, you can't, you can't have a beer, you're straight edge. You can't drink, Trent. You can't drink, you're straight edge, blah, blah, blah. So then you start fighting with yourself that you are like, well, I just, I, I want to be myself. If, if I want to have a drink, if I want, and then I was living by this title. So it kind of fucked it. I was, that was kind of a bit of a fight with depression there because it was a bit of, bit of back and forth that I was in very dark pace of not knowing like being the person I wanted to be and just, just drink and not be told what to do and then living by the rules of me telling myself I have to do this stuff. And then had a drink once and it was just nothing. And then since then, I'm just, just Trent. You know what I mean? No, I'm not a straight edge. I'm not a drunk. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not anything. I'm just, just, just myself. And, and I'm happy because I, if I didn't go through that when I was younger, I never would have saw the world. I never would have learned to appreciate myself, alcohol and drug free. And I wouldn't be able to know the maturity of what I am like now to see where I was to where I am and be able to be in control of it. It was how many years at straight edge? 11 from uh, 18 to 29. Yeah. Pretty much end of, end of 29. So what's that? 10 and a half, 11 years. Saying. Just before I turned, just before I turned, um, what's it called? I can't think of it. Just before I turned 30 was like, I had my first drinks in the middle of when I was 29. Yeah. Right on. Wow. That's yeah. huge, man. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, culturally that scene, that would seem, um, I know it would have seemed so strange to me at that age. Yeah. Like I spent, I was, I was sober. I was, I, I was bad when I was 18. And then when I turned 18 December and then I turned, so that was 2004, 2015, January, 2015, I stopped drinking just after New Year's. And, um, I, I was sober my 21st. Um, yeah, 25th all the way to 30th was, I didn't have a party, but 30th was probably the next big, big, um, thing. And that's, I missed the whole festival. That was around the festival kind of times. Everyone was doing festivals and doing that. I missed all that. Um, it was very hard at some point because same thing when I didn't want to drink, I didn't like drinking. I didn't fit in. So I didn't want to drink to fit in. So I'd almost just sit at home a lot. I'd go to the skate park by myself. I was very secluded. Um, but the hardcore scene was the, the thing that was the, my escape. It was the one thing that accepted me. So that was, I was very grateful of that. How common is it in the, stra in the hardcore scene for someone to be straight edge? Um, different, different, different areas. I think back in the day, Brisbane used to be very, very big. 
Melbourne as well. Um, I'm not going to say 50-50, but um, good 35-40% of the Australian hardcore scene would. All that I know of, yeah. And so for people looking in from the outside, it would that would seem totally counterintuitive because it's a, it's yeah. like it looks it's like a punk metal type scene, yeah. right? People are you touched on the the aggression piece before, yeah. um, that like people are like moshing in there, kind of yeah. smashing each other up a bit, like it gets a, yeah. it gets gets kind of violent in a yep. in a friendly sort of way. Yeah. It, it just seems like drugs and alcohol are synonymous with that scene. Yeah. Uh, which I guess typically they are. So that's a really cool yeah. kind of unique side to nah, it. 100%. Like there's definitely, um, there's a lot of things. Like the other thing is looking from the outside in is is another big thing because a picture can tell a thousand words and a video can say a 10,000 more. Although if you don't know the backstory of a lot of them, they can be misinterpreted and differently misread. Like, like you could show, I could show you a video of, a band screaming their heads off, going absolutely mental and people jumping on people's heads and going crazy. And I could show you the lyrics and they would baffle you. Like they're all about empowerment. They're all about unity, standing up for your beliefs, um, anti-racism, anti-fascism, anti-sexism, anti like, yeah. The political stance in hardcore is amazing. I, I, almost, I almost see old school street hip hop and punk hardcore very similar hand in hand. The same fuck authority, um, united as one, um, very anti-political, um, yeah, kind of coming from the gutter, making making life through music. Like they definitely go hand in hand a lot. I I I totally I totally feel. That's cool. I yeah, I had to listen to uh, to one of the tracks from you guys before. I believe betrayal. Yeah, and I, I, I can't understand what the fuck's being said. Yeah. <laughs> and that's you that I'm listening to singing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The funny thing is that my mum's like, my mum reads the lyrics. She's like, Trent, Trent, your message is, am- can you just like, I want the people to hear. Can we do an acoustic song? Like, your lyrics are amazing, but I don't understand them. <laughs> Would you do it? Would you do an acoustic? Oh, mate, I've always, I reckon, this is my problem because I'm like, like I've, I'm always, I need so many things to do. Man, I've always wanted to do a hip hop thing. I've always wanted to do acoustic stuff. I can't sing for shit, but I just, there's just one other thing that I want to do. I've got too many things and not enough time. Like I'd love to do, cause I do, I love writing music. I love writing lyrics. Like I'm quite, I'm quite lucky. Like, um, I look back at some of the stuff I've written years ago and I was like, fucking hell. I didn't like, that's less lyrically like really well written. I can't believe the English dropout can pull that kind of stuff out, but it's all for the punk hardcore. So I'd definitely love to do something. I don't even know. It could be like country ballad or something. Cause like you can make it relate to anything um, using experience and, and life lessons and just adapt it to a different song. Good point. It makes me think of uh, Mickey Avalon. He's got an album on, uh, he's got an album on Spotify. That's him reading children's stories. Oh, is it? No way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you listen to his rap music, it's all about using drugs and, and I was just about and- <laughs> to say, I'm pretty sure someone said this to me and I say this in the kindest way possible because I found out about him when I was straight edge and I was really anti everything, like a little young punk fuck everything. Like, but I swear he sings about sucking dick for rock. And now he's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So now that's what someone said to me. He goes, 
He goes, oh, he's reading a children's book. And I go, isn't that the guy who's like prostitute for drugs or something? I go, fuck, what a role model. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, Mate, I mean, it's his alter ego. He's That's Johnny right. McGee. He reads his Johnny McGee and then he sings as Ricky Avalon. <laughs> But it, but it speaks to, um, it speaks to what you were saying before about being the jack of all trades. It's this generalist yeah. thing, right? And it's like, oh. there is a, uh, there is a, there's a categorization that occurs when you're part of any subgroup, like you're part of a culture, like I, you know, whatever. I'm a gym guy, or I'm a yeah. jujitsu guy, or I'm a yeah. gym owner guy, and you can kind of slot in and be a very particular way. But maybe you got interest in something else that's completely oh, unrelated yeah. to that. Maybe you, you know, maybe you are really passionate about kids' stories. Yeah, and you know so and it's like and i think kind of what i'm what i'm picking up a bit with what your story and also with the hardcore scene is that it's almost like a little bit of a backlash against these sort of this pigeonholing that's sort of occurred yeah also as we were growing up and definitely like i think as we go as as time goes on we get better at at interpreting yeah. this shit as a society but yeah it was like where you can be multifaceted and have different things going on and be yeah. quite a, a wide ranging person. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing you kind of, you definitely got pigeonholed when you're younger. You're like the skater, the surfer, the punk, the nerd, the, all this other stuff. And I think hardcore scene was a good place where all those things came together. You know what I mean? Like I would tour and there'd be dudes, they'd talk about the nerd, like, like computer stuff. Like lots of hardcore dudes love gaming. And I can't even, I can't, I can barely even control one controller. So there's like the gamers and there's other people that are shoe dudes. And then there's the other people that are like bloggers and all this other photographer. Like, but then we're all underneath, like we come together under the hardcore scene as well. I think that's the, the one thing is like, um, the hardcore scene kind of brings it all together. I feel you come from many walks of life and through the one passion and the one united music nothing else matters as soon as you walk in that door him or her becomes brother and sister and whatever the nine to five job you do is left at the door and you're there for the music and then you go again it's almost back to your real life you know what i mean it's like you clock in nothing else matters it's your other family outside it's your therapy you go there you have your time and you leave feeling relaxed maybe with a bleeding eye and a busted shirt but it's worth it Tell me about, um, you grew up in Bondi and I saw on your Instagram bio, I'm, I, I'm guessing you're referring to it when you say Scum Valley. Yep. <laughs> what was <Yeah>. that about? <laughs> <laughs> so I've just always, growing up around here, um, all the older crew used to call Bondi Scum Valley. So back when my dad grew up around here, um, it was all the old illegal gambling, the prostitution, all the moldies used to run it. Um, the what it's called the astra and the the royal were like the two of the two of the roughest pubs around here if you weren't islander or or some sort of like if you're white you wouldn't go into the astra back then like it was there's back in the days it was a lot rougher around here see bondi back in the day used to be what south sydney is kind of more so now in the last 20 years like hard uh, what do they call it like i didn't know the word um like the blue collar, uh, not hard workers. I can't even think of the word. Working one class. Working class. That's the one called, yeah. Um, and then and then from there, yeah, we had the tram tracks down there. And back in the day, it used to be, yeah, it was just referred to 
there's an old picture which I love. It used to be the old sewage plant, the old sewage drain coming out the promenade, and there was a big old like monster head, and its nostrils were the were the two things there, and that just is the epitome of Scum Valley. Even now, even now, like I remember, I was walking with my girl the other day, and she's like, "Oh fuck, it stinks." I'm like, "Yeah, that's when you know you're home." She's like, "What do you mean?" I go, "Well, when the when the wind blows south, it pushes it from the sewage plant and washes all the way along Bondi, so you can smell salt water and shit." And that's the that's like that's Scum Valley, like that's the that's the scent. That's you you know you're like yeah, I can, you can smell when the wind changes because it pushes it from the sewage plant down. And then, like I think that one's it's more of a it's more of a water sewage plant now. I don't think they burn it off like they used to in that chimney thing. But yeah, I've just grown up and I just love. It's even better. Like I have a couple of t-shirts that say Scum Valley, and I was in Coles the other day, and this lady goes. Scum Valley, and I go, we're in it, we're in it, love. This is Bondi. She goes, no, no. I go, yeah, <laughs> mate. I go, it's changed a lot, costs a lot more to live here, but it's still Scum Valley to me. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? I'm sure, like that woman, there'd be a lot of people that'd be appalled to hear that their multi-million-dollar yeah. properties <laughs> situated in Scum Valley. <laughs> the Tesla is just rolling through the streets of shit. For anyone listening who's not from Sydney. Bondi is the um, how do you? It's it's the it's one of the premier suburbs. They call it they call it the most famous beach in Australia. That's fair. Yeah, like it if any, well, that's not if anyone from like does a news, they're like, and here we cut to blah 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 from the most famous beach in like yeah, it's probably the most. It's on a postcards more than anything. Like yeah. if you think of surf, sun, and Australia, you think of Ayers Rock in the middle, and then you think of Bondi Beach, like. Or yeah. the Great Barrier Reef. You have your three different kind of, um, yeah, it's very tourist run. Um, there's lots of shows. There's been Bondi Inc. tattoo short show. There's Bondi Rescue about the lifeguards. Bondi Surf Club do a show. There's Bondi Vet. There's fucking. Oh so, yeah, guys, God. if you're out there and you want to be an entrepreneur, just put Bondi in front of it. You'll sell. It's so true. You see it all the time. Bondi beer, Bondi fucking yeah. crackers. Like, yeah, well, I remember... I actually applied for a job when I was um, traveling around the world just before I met up with cousin Rick, actually. Oh, beautiful. And I ended up in, uh, I ended up down in San Diego. I, I, before I'd gotten to San Diego, I was in Whistler in Canada and the season was coming to an end. So everyone's making their plans to either get out of there and move on or, or do another season. Yeah. And they, I don't know how they advertised it, but there was a, a slick restaurant bar opening up in San Diego called Bondi. Yeah. And they wanted I've... Australian staff. Yep. So, so it was like all these Aussies from Whistler were flocking down to this one restaurant trying to get a gig. I didn't get the gig. <laughs> you weren't Aussie enough. <laughs> no. I think you needed a work permit or something. I was like, I got nothing. Yeah, no. Next. <laughs> so, so what I, you know, um, one of the parts about this chat that I wanted to get into with you was something that you're very outspoken about, which is you're an advocate for mental health. Yeah. And I, the, the, the time we reconnected was when you turned up at my gym one day and uh, I'm like, bro, what are you doing here? And you're like, yeah. oh, I'm, here, I'm, do, I'm here with Rise Foundation with Benny Higgs, yeah. who's been on the show before for any of the old school listeners. Yeah. He was on the show probably about 30 episodes ago. And, and when they were, you guys were doing the walk the walk. And yep. it was like a 24 hour walk that started, that started at our gym. And yep. I'm like, Found holy shit, bro. And we, you know, we recognize each other from when yeah. I met you back in Bondi. Yeah. Um, so obviously being involved with, with Rise Foundation and Ben, it was like, oh, okay. You obviously feel strongly about mental health. Yep. 
Um, you posted this fucking video that was heart wrenching on your Instagram. I don't know. It was a few months ago and it was just you like bearing all on the camera, bawling your eyes out, making a plea to, I'm guessing you'd had a friend that had killed themselves. Yeah. We lost two in two days. Pretty much one, one Sunday, no, one the Monday night and one the Tuesday night, pretty much. And it was so close to the fact that, no, sorry, it was the Sunday night and Monday night because, um, oh, sorry, Monday and Tuesday because the boys were out Tuesday night, Tuesday afternoon. You still was in lockdown, but there was five of them having a beer at one of the boys' house because we just lost a boy. And then everyone went home. He was supposed to go home and he went straight to a park at South Bondi. So then we woke up the next day after the boys saying goodbye to everyone and finding out that four of them, five left, four went home. And then that was the Wednesday. That was the Wednesday. I think I, I think I posted that on the Friday. But yeah, I'd never ever felt anything like that before. Two in two days, so close to a community. Two, two different sectors, one skater, one surfer, connected by the beach, like... Both skated, both surfed, but you knew one was like in the border eyes, one was in the skate bowl. Like you knew they were two, but then everyone knew each other as well. So yeah, it was very, it was a bit of everything. Like you had lockdown going on, no one could mourn everyone and leading up to it. Everyone was, everyone was in their own little issues. And then, so that was, yeah, it was gut wrenching. Um, And I think, I think I just hit a point where I was just, I think I'd lost, what was it, in the last six... It, from Bondi, we, we lost another 17-year-old New Year's Eve as well. So it was like three from Bondi in the six months. And I think in the year that I was connected to, it was nearly eight to ten. And I was just like, I go, this is just it's too common. I go, I can't, I can't sit back and hide my feelings or my emotions anymore and just cloud it. I go... Um, I just needed to post something. I just didn't expect what happened to have happened when from that post. Yeah. When you say, um, you know, uh, like we lost a couple like boys, like were they guys you went to school with or were they dudes from around the area? What was the connection? Oh, so even so connected wise, there was a 17 year old kid from board riders who uh, yep. was uh, pretty much a filmer. Like this kid, Surf, young kid, he um, was always behind the camera. So every board rider's comp, three days later, he'd post a little on his Instagram, he'd post a little two-minute clip and there'd be everyone on there surfing. There'd be all their, all um, all the clips. So that was in January this year. And the second one, he was 17. So I just knew him through board riders. Second one was the Monday. He was probably young as well, maybe 24, 25. Local skater, drinks with my younger brother. So I knew him through my brother. When my brother was living down the road from me in a unit block, there was people in both, in all four of them. He was always there. So that's how I knew him. And then the one on the Tuesday, um, he was a bit older, 28 still, or maybe, yeah, 28. I would have known him from board riders. And he was like in the, where we would call like in the Scum Valley clique. So we have Scum Valley board riders. He used to win Scum Valley Cup. He won it two years in a row, like, um, he was the he was the winner of Scum Valley Cup in the Bondi Board Riders. Um, he was the one that I was the most 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 connected to. So it was only like four years difference. Um, we used to do he used to do all the car. I used to work for a company that he used to do electrical work for. So we'd work together a lot. Um, but I think he impacted the most because his connection with the community, 
His parents were big in the icebergs. His parents were big at Revisi's um, and all these other spots. So, so not only was it um, um, a hardship on the younger generation, but his parents copped it hard too. And then trickled down through all his parents' friends. So um, that one was a big impactful one for the whole community, young and all, young and young and old. Sorry. And do you, do you, it, I mean, it sounds like hearing that, it sounds like that's a disproportionate, I mean, I know like obviously the last couple of years with COVID and lockdown has been, has been hard on all communities, yeah. but do you feel like that's a disproportionately like large number of people to, to, to go by suicide from that one specific little area? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, Definitely such a short space of time. There's a couple of older boys I, I know um, and they've had their stories and I was a lot younger when, when they, when they, um, when they took their lives. Um, but definitely, <clears throat> definitely high. Definitely for this area. Yeah. Cause in saying that me still calling it like scum Valley, we are quite well off. Like a lot of people are quite well off around the area. So it definitely impacted, um, I definitely took a lot of hardship over these last little bits. And I think, I'm not saying it's all connected to lockdown because I know, I'm not, I'm saying that this could, this probably could have, would have happened without lockdown. Like lockdown didn't help it, but lockdown is, <sighs> mental illness doesn't come because of being locked down. It's something that's inside of you that is emphasized by the lockdown but not caused by it. And that'll probably ruffle some feathers. So I apologize, but um, I feel like it's always there and you're fighting it. And then the last demon was locked in. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. What do you think that is? I, I think it's, it's, you know, obviously, you know, there, there's, it's like people got a lot of shit to deal with and there's, there's a bunch of, you know, but for someone who is in a community and connected with people and seeing this happen around you, and having experienced depression yourself, what do you, what do you think is at the heart of a lot of this? Honestly, and it pains me to say it because I've been in talks and I've started a couple of groups lately to try and talk my way around this. Drugs, alcohol, and gambling. And it is not the only thing, like, because I know a lot of other people. Actually, when I say this, I will say that at a younger age because they don't have the life trauma and life hardship that kind of comes when you're a lot older, family, kids, home loans, these kind of stuff, drugs and alcohol and gambling at a younger age. Your mind and your body's not used to the effects that comes after what the fun you're having. It emphasizes everything. You break up with your girlfriend, the only thing you want to do is go get drunk and take substances. Takes yourself from being around here to your energy level here, but you're like dopamine and all your emotions here. So while you have no emotion, your body's bouncing. They're misproportioned with each other and you've got all this excess energy, but it's pushing, it's suppressing everything else down. And I think... I think using it as a counselling and therapy mechanism too is is definitely taking its toll on a lot of people. So they're 
self-medicating, drowning, suppressing, using drugs and alcohol. Um, but it's, I hate to say it because it is not the only, it's not the only thing, but it's a big factor in younger kids. I know, I'll, I'll happily say that. I definitely, and I know firsthand, being on both sides, being like 50 days sober off nothing and running and doing the things that I'm doing, how great I feel. Still will have a drink, but never want to get myself back to where I was. So substituting different um, routines with better positive, healthier routines. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the thing is you can't cut shit out straight. You can't cut shit out. It's got to be substituted. And that's, that's the other thing. People lose their girlfriends. So rather than go on the movies and dinners, they substitute it for drugs and alcohol or they substitute it for something bad. So if you lose something or someone passes away, I understand the coping mechanism and all that is it's suppressed for a bit, but you can't, you can't constantly um, self-medicate through drugs and alcohol and expect it to go away or expect life to get easier or move forward with it. Do you, do you think that um, some of that's tied into the, you know, our Australian culture, which is, you know, pretty excessive in its use of drugs yeah. and alcohol generally? 100%. Well, going back to what I talked about when we were talking about straight edge, um, you see your parents doing it. And I'm, I know firsthand, like my family back in the day used to be known around these areas is every pub. Like, you'd know if you, if they were like, oh, you're Trent. Oh yeah. You're not saying his name, but you're, you're <laughs> Bar's son. <laughs> like you're known in the air, like a lot of people, like if you're growing up in the area, yeah. I grew up in Bondi. My dad's been here for 75 years. And then, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's a loud oh, that guy. Oh, he's a larrikin. He's a big drinker. That guy, I know him from this watering hole, this and that. So you're 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 pigeonholed into that at a young age. And then same thing with with the with video phones now. The Australian culture is always about pushing the level, pushing the envelope and one upping. Like when the cameras come out, anything can happen. I'll tell you right now. Six pack deep. And someone's like, oh, do that. You could have just maybe jumped over a pool fence, but when the camera comes out, you try to backflip it. <laughs> just because. You know, that's the Australian culture. It's just, yeah. yeah. It's brown so, cardigan. Mate, it is. <laughs> and it started with Jackass and what, 2.0 or TK, TK 2.0, whatever Bam and Jira's one was, all those skaty guys. And then it went to tension with bodyboarding and it went to, like, same thing. It's just fun pranks and and the, the problem is when you have people like me me with touring i i'm very people think i've been kicked out of places many times because i think i'm drunk and i'm sober i'm the only one sober but my energy levels are through the roof already so you add drug, drugs and i mean you would add alcohol and substance to that it's a recipe for disaster and there's no controlling yeah once you're in yeah like a wild, untamable beast. Exactly. And then it just becomes a competition almost. Yeah. You just set in. That's a really interesting point. I never thought about what it, you know, because, yeah, I used to fuck around with all that, you know, growing up skating and, and hanging yeah. out with older mates and, you know, whatever. Yeah, we'd, we'd be, I remember, you know, when you start drinking as a kid, it tastes like shit, but you force yeah. it. Like you get it down. You're like, I'm going to drink this long neck if it's the last thing I yeah. do. 
and then you know over time you develop a, a love for it but um the what it would be like to to be in that scene but then to have this to have the camera thing we didn't have yeah. that at that stage right no way it was vhs like and if you were lucky like i mean who had like, batteries and who had tapes like it, no you yeah. know your chances are you're just hanging out and it's just you and some friends at a place or in the in a room together yeah. So, you know, whereas now nah. it's like you can, you can put, you can put it to the world. You can send it to yeah. your friends. So it changes, yeah. it changes. You can make money moment. off things. And funny enough, talking about cameras and all this other stuff, completely off topic, but I'm pretty sure it was Kevin Hart or Will Smith. And I saw a quote by one of them and someone said, today's society is such a racist society. And it said, Will Smith or Kevin Hart, it said, nothing's changed. We just have camera phones. See, back in the day, it was exactly the same. No one saw it. Exactly what was happening now was 10 times worse, but no one saw it because now if someone goes, oh, you're a beep, beep, someone goes. Whoosh. Whereas back then it was happening. So it's not that we're like more of a racist society. It's always been there. It's just more accessible to be filmed and get caught out. So back yeah. in the day, we're still as crazy as that. But the accessibility to even there's one dude over in America where someone sends me and he does front flips on the fucking um, barbed wire. And I'm just like, but he gets thousands of views. And I keep getting sent all the time. And I'm just like, I don't like, I don't understand. Like there's so many, it's just the internet. But then I know firsthand back in the day when I was growing up and I was down the skate park, you pulled out that camera, I'm trying to do an air. I'll break a wrist, but I'm trying to air. Because if it gets fucking caught on camera, I'm going down in history. You know what I mean? That's fucking sign sealed delivered. And that's what it was. It was this fucking like, oh, oh I'm not going to remember it, but we're going to film it. So, oh, we're going to remember it so you can show people. And it's a whole different, it's a persona. It's, a, it's almost a fakeness that we would put on just because of that to outdo each other. Yeah. It's crazy thinking about this shit now. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's... Um... It's real sad, isn't it? Because there's a real beauty to that. Like, like yeah. it's a lot, you know, you think back to the good times relevant to that, whatever that, that thing is where you're hanging out and you're doing stupid shit and you're pushing limits and, you know, trying to capture it. But uh, we're also kind of acknowledging that that, that, that behavior coupled with drugs and alcohol is, is kind of key to the yep. problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, the worst thing about it is like, back in the day on like a Nokia or the first thing you'd film it and then you'd show your mates for the next week. But then now you do something dumb. You wake up the next morning and you've already got 50 messages from mates in Queensland going, I can't believe you did that. And it's like, thanks. 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 Jono. Can't believe you just fucking shared that, but that's the way it is. So you don't even have a chance to question. Like it's, it's a scary time. I'm constantly baffled at why they let NRL players have fucking mobile Mate, phones. I was just thinking that four of them just got done coming back to a party on Mad Monday doing something like, I'm like, one, why are you there? Two, you're an idiot. Don't film it. Yeah. And, just... and you don't even know the people. And he's like, oh, I can't believe that they filmed me. It's like, cause they're going to make, they don't care about you. It's money. They don't care about you. They stitched you up. It's been happening since Carney, since fucking, what's his Pierce and the mate, boys. What are you doing? Stay with your crew. No one. Fuck. I should be the PR for fucking Mad Monday every year. You should, you should I'll get book it. Every NRL club. I'll book you a fucking farm. I'll make sure everything's taken care of, 
and I'll fucking pat you down. There's no one going to know where they are until you get an envelope on the day so you can't fucking tell Daily Mail or some other cunt and sell money to 50 grand to tell where the fucking West Coast Tigers are. You know what I mean? That's what it should be. The PR due to the football stadium should be like, all right, guys, Mad Monday's booked. Um, get on the bus. Here's your envelope. Your phone's not on the bus, so you can't tell your wife where you are. You know you're gone for three days and you come back and no one knows where you are. Fuck. It's not fucking <laughs> rocket surgery. <laughs> Mate, talk to me about um talk to me about this this showing of vulnerability. Um Touching on that that post of yours again, where you know you are you're 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 bearing all, posting it on Instagram, and it, it I saw it had huge traction, right? It's, it, anyone that watched that video was like was impacted by it. Yeah. Just you know to see a man crying and talking about losing loved ones, and doing it for like a few minutes, right? It's not just here's a few seconds of me crying man. today, um, but then also like acknowledging that we come from this culture where it's like we don't show a lot of emotion, particularly males. We tend to yep. suppress it, you know, and, and uh, you know, we're all, we're all very well aware of that these days. Where does that come from for you? Like, where did you, where did you get the awareness or develop the awareness to start showing your vulnerability? Um, I can say for myself and I can definitely pick this in other males. Um, just to clear the air, I, growing up, I never got along with my father. We, um, we've only really, really connected now in the past four, four or five years. Um, my parents split and I just, there's a lot of things about him I didn't like. Um, um, and we've rekindled now. But so I was raised by my mother. Um, I can easily say that you can tell a male that was raised by a mother or raised by his father. I can definitely see the morals and values that I share in that nurse would have been coming from my mum. I'm a big mother's boy. I'm big on um, protecting your queen, looking after your female, um, um, but also showing that soft side to it because someone asked me in the podcast, I was always talking about, they always say man up and toughen up and all this other stuff, but they're talking about emotional traits or like toughness traits, whereas emotional traits for me of hardening up is being a provider. Being If you tell me to man up, Manning up to me is protecting your mother, being a provider for your wife and kids, setting up a future for them. That's being a man. That's what I see as a man, not being tough. That's not being a man. I know chicks that could bash the shit out of me. Like being tough doesn't make you a man. Um, so the vulnerability side definitely came from my mum, seeing what, the way a mum can raise five kids um, and the morals that she instilled with me um, to always respect women and all that kind of stuff. But then I think it was just years and years of growing up in the hardcore scene. I'm a tattooed guy, um, listen to heavy metal music, surf, skate. So I was always the demographic of like a tough kind of guy. Um, but I don't know. I've definitely always had it in me, I'm going to say, because I don't know if it came from anywhere because I've always been a bit of a, like another side of me is I'm a, mar- I'm a marriage celebrant. So I marry people. Um, and everyone's like, oh, that's crazy. I'd never expect that. I'm like, yeah, well, there is this other soft side to me and I'm not afraid to show it or hide it. You, 
Um, I love love. I love the thought of marriage. I love the connection and the fact that you're, you're the single main part of that event, bringing them both together. You are pretty much writing the first chapter of their book together. They're the two chapters together and you've developed the next one to bring them together. Um, so I don't know, maybe I've been an emotional kid growing up. Uh, maybe I suppressed it a lot and I tried to, maybe that's why I take my aggression out singing as a hardcore band. And uh, I don't know, but definitely the vulnerability and, and that would come from my mum, and then me just teaching myself um, over the years to, to not be afraid. I think that was what straight edge taught me. I, I grew up in the, I grew up at Bondi beach. Like, Anyone that grew up in Bondi, from Bondi to Maroubra, it's a drinking, fast-paced madhouse. And to be able to make some of the, like the hardest, the, the, whatever it's called when you find yourself, to be able to abstain from drugs and alcohol in that teens from 19 to 28, it's not easy. And you, I definitely built up a thick skin and self-reassurance that I never needed anyone to tell me what to do and no one could ever break me with whatever I was doing. And I guess a little self-confidence in there to be that like, not that I'm better than you, but I'm not afraid to do what I want, stand on my own and say that kind of stuff. And I think that all just culminated into that video. How how is that received generally? I mean, obviously that video was very well received, but in terms of that side of you and you being open with expressing that to your peers and whatnot, is it is it well received or is there friction? Well received, like uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. Um, see, because the other thing is, which I've definitely been told, I need to help other people with this part of me because I've got this. I get anxious and I get depression, but I don't have anything wrong with self-reassurance. So I never feel, I, I hate myself for things I do not hate myself for what I am. Um, so a lot of people, um, like I can put something out there like that and not get one comment and not care. You know what I mean? Like nothing can, nothing can harm me. I'm pretty, as I said, I'd spent so many years sober in a drug and alcohol fueled area that I'm happy with what I do. And so I wasn't scared with the response, but I got the most amazing response back. I got messages from people in the area saying I got stopped by about at least four or five people I'd never, ever seen before in the area that stopped me and like, give me a hug and just say, Hey mate, I saw what you did the other day. I want to say that's so brave of you. Thank you. You helped me out. And I just want to say the vulnerability and everything was amazing. I wish there was more men like that. I hope my sons grow up to be like that. I hope you're a role model for all these things. And that's, it's amazing, but overwhelming too. Cause I'm like, fuck, it's almost like I built this thing up now. And, if you see me driving down the street and you cross the wrong way and I toot you, I'm sorry, but that's, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, like I feel like I'm, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not a different side of me, but it was definitely a bit of a pressure because it's like I went from nothing to this videos over 350,000 views. It was shared all over the world. I was getting messages from people in the UK saying I've had the worst week 
Um, everything's really been getting me down. I've lost all my parents and my family to COVID, this and that. I was almost at the end, but your video got me through. Um, messages from parents saying that their sons are suffering from depression and they're drug, they're, they're drug addicts and they, they need help and this. And I'd try and give them, like, try and tell them what this was more of an impact. Like, people were reaching out crazy. Like, um, and that was very overwhelming, but I had to take it as it was because... I never expected the, like the, the good backlash, like the, 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 the reception that it got. So when it started, I had to accept it and ride the, ride the roller coaster that would come from what I did. Mate, that's special. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's very, yeah, I can't, uh, I went, I went and looked at the analytics of it like the other week. Someone asked me about it. And I went and looked at it and it was, um, on Instagram, it was shared 10 and a half thousand times. Um, like yeah, crazy. The crazy ones are the people that from overseas. Like Kelly Slater commented on it. Um, he oh. wrote something. Yeah. Um, uh, Fitzy from Nova ninety six point nine. Gus Gould. Like just all these people from right. Like so, it was shared enough to get picked up by these people. Um, like I don't know. I yeah. Um, a couple of people like it was shared on Brown Cardigan. They shared it. Um, NRL roast. Matty John shared it. Like so many of these, yeah, it's mind-boggling. But I think everyone that said something to me said it couldn't have come at a better time. He goes, he goes, we were Melbourne was struggling, Sydney was back in lockdown. People needed to hear what you had to say. And another thing I said about as a guy, I the reason I did it was to show my true self to my local boys around here and try and help some other people. And as Ben from Rise said to me, he goes mate, it'll be an endless cycle now. He goes, this thing will just rehash and pop back up when needed. And I just said, as long as it touches the people and gets the people that need to hear it when they need to hear it, then I'll be totally so grateful for posting it. That's cool. I'll put a, uh, I'll make sure to put a link to it um, in the show notes, just for anyone that, you know, that, that's listening that wants to catch it. Yeah. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful three minute watch. Mate, have you got, um, have you got any advice that you would give to someone who's who's battling with stuff, who's listening to this and thinking, man, fuck, I, I need to hear some of this shit. And maybe they're a bit reliant on substances or alcohol or maybe they're just feeling alone. Do you yeah. have some kind of advice you could impart on folks? Um, so don't hide it in, reach out. Now, I don't even mean that. Like some people feel less comfortable talking to their family because growing up, I didn't tell my, my mum knew everything about me, but wouldn't know everything about me. If that makes sense. Like I'd hide everything from my mum because she was my greatest, my greatest advocate, but my biggest fear because if I let her down, I couldn't live with it. So if I was suffering with something, the last thing I want to do is go home and be like, mum, this is going on. And she'd be like, Oh my God, is everything Right, and then I'd feel like I'm the victim and I'd been victimized and all this other stuff. So her talking down to me would make it a bigger deal. So I thought if I didn't tell her, then it didn't exist. So you need to find someone in your life that you feel comfortable talking to. My tags will definitely be up on this. And then I have other tags as well from Rise Foundation, um, Beyond Blue Helpline, Helpline um, all these other ones. You need to be able to speak to someone. Like I've never really dealt with therapy and I'm about to go back to it. After speaking to a lot of people, 
I've been told that it's the best thing ever. I reckon, I know it is, but I'm too scared to do it. Everyone said to me, it's the greatest thing ever. And I say, I've got this, I've got this. And they're like, yeah, but they're not third parties. You're connected to these people. Um, to be able to go to someone who doesn't know a thing about you and you could sit there and say, F my mum this and F my mum that, they're not going to judge you. They're not going to worry about you and they don't know your mum. Um, it makes things a hell of a lot easier to get off your chest. Um, the longer you suppress it, the longer you keep it in, the worse it gets. And find little things, find little things that take your mind off it. You need to find a substitute for what's going on. If every afternoon, let's say for instance, a breakup, if you break up with your girl and every afternoon you used to call her on your way home from work and you don't anymore. And that little bit of a block in your daily schedule is gone. You need to refill it. So find one of your best mates. You don't even have to tell them about what you've gone through your day. Call him. Hey, Jono, how's the surf? What's going on this weekend? Just to fill that 30-minute gap driving home because there's a void there now and your head noise will be terrible because not only do you not be able to call her, but it's playing on yourself because she's on your mind. So you're thinking about her because you used to call us and then you'll play on your mind what she's doing now, what she's doing, and then it'll just trickle down. So you definitely need to substitute things and... Um, yeah, try to put a little active plan to play, fitness exercise. A lot of people don't like that. It could be a, you could probably rather than drinking, maybe start playing Nintendo or something. Get online. Yeah, but definitely reach out, talk to someone. Um, yeah, that, that helpline, could just, you could just call them for a chat, really. I know people that have just been bored, and not bored, but like struggling. They just don't know what to do. They just call them, maybe say seven words over two minutes. But they're just someone else on the phone. You just know that someone's there with you. So um, you're not in it alone. That's the other thing. I never reached out. I never used to speak to anyone because I thought I was on my own. Um, I guess you just got to find what's comfortable for you, whether or not it's talking to a random, reaching out, getting advice. The hardest is the first step. I got a message the other day from a female that's saying, um, I, I nearly overdosed two, two weeks ago. Um, I need some help. Can you put me in contact with some people around our age? Um, older people don't understand us like you do. I see everything you post and I really like it. Um, I need some help. And all I did was wrote back saying, are you all right today? How's your day been? And I wrote back saying, that's probably the hardest thing you've ever done, but you took the first step. And I put her in, in, in touch with certain little avenues. In saying that, I'm not a trained professional. I've done courses on mental health response. So I know how to act around people. I know words to use. I know how to reach out. <clears throat> but then if someone's calling me saying they're standing up on a bridge, I've got to put them, I have to put them in touch with absolute, like actual paid professionals. I can't, I'm not a, I'm not a professional that's done degrees or anything. I'm just, I'm just a bloke that's been there that can open up and know what you're going through. That's pretty much, I'm just real, I guess. I think that's the, probably the part of your, your cause that, that speaks to people the most is that you're not, it's not your job. It's not what you do. Yeah. It's just like, you're a dude who's been through some shit and you're happy to talk about it. And yeah. I think that, you know, obviously from the response you've gotten, you're having people read, you know, whether, yeah. so whether or not that's something you wanted, right? Yeah. Well, I, I actually, this is the bad thing. I've definitely said this before, but it is medication to me too. 
So I go through a lot of shit and I hate talking about it. I will say that. But when other people come to me and be like, Trent, I've had the worst day. These thoughts are going through my head. I'm like, all right, let's talk about it. When I hang up the phone, I haven't suppressed my shit. I've let it go. So these people coming to me for their problems, as long as there's not a thousand and one every day, <laughs> I, um, it is my therapy. I, I enjoy being a part of their development and their growth. And they felt comfortable coming to me. And that is my drug. That is my, my release. Yeah. Mate, the helping it's a, side. It's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful thing you're doing. And I think, um, I think your message is, is really, I think you got a lovely message. And I, I, I think there's a lot of people that are here this chat and just take a lot away from it. Like yeah. a lot of different shit, but a lot of good vibes. <laughs> Hope so. Yeah, man. Look, it's, you know, we all know that the, the it's, guys aren't good at expressing themselves guys in Australia are even worse at expressing themselves, yeah. you know, like there's just, there's layers to it. And I think that people are getting better at it, but to hear, you know, impressive, interesting, you know, cool guys talk about that sort of stuff on, in a, in a real way is, um, I think it's, it speaks to people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Man, I, I think that's a pretty awesome place for us to wrap up on. Yeah. Amazing. I, you probably got to get on with your Friday evening. Um, no, nah, there's no footy on. I'll talk to you till Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored, bro. Where are you going? Don't leave me. Oh, we got, yeah, it's grand final, isn't it? Yeah. Well, wait, you're a South Sydney, you're a South Sydney supporter. No, sorry. I'm a Chookie because I'm the Bondi side. Fuck, they've got like, like five it. fans, don't they? Yeah. Four, four. <laughs> I'm the fifth. Yeah, yeah. Um, nah, so like I... Um, I even messaged my, one of my mates because he's my bra boy mates and all my people from Aruba. I love when Chookies versus South because I'm not a hateful Chook supporter. I don't hate South. I love the rivalry. So when we verse them, I'm like, yeah, you fucking toothless. Like, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> but then when they, like, if, Chook, if South win, I'm like, boys. Like, I called the boys the other week. I said, mate, I was cheering for Manly and you fucking touched them up. And that's come from a diehard Chookie. I'm like, I'm going for Penrith for the grand final, but I'm fucking worried. The way you guys played, even without Latrell, like South, mate, their backline, since they got Latrell, you guys have got one of the best backlines in the fucking, like easily. Like Penrith, Melbourne, you guys, mate, they're just name after name after name. Latrell moved from, from Chooks? Yeah, thanks for rubbing it in, mate. Okay. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not a huge, I'm not a huge fan nah, these days. Really I'm, yeah, a man, I'm a manly supporter. How about that? Yeah. Well, I went for manly last week with Tommy. Um, plus, they killed Chookies the week before. Right. But yeah, Latrell left us. Um, what's his name? Um, Russell Crowe and that got him over there. And Bennett pretty much... Pretty sure Bennett got him over there to win the premiership because that was his last year. I think Bennett leaves the South, I think, this year. But uh, he pretty much got him over there. And then, funny enough, this will kick up some fuss. So I'm sorry all the South supporters out there, but... When they versed Brewsters and he put that shot on Manu, that's what put him out for the six weeks. So I actually, I don't disagree with that, but I do disagree with the, the judgment. I believe that the grand final should be, you should get judged and docked. And um, if you do something wrong, you should suffer the consequences. But I feel like there should be an exception for grand final. You can't uh, tell me that you play a whole a whole fucking year, 24 rounds, 
fucking you sober for the whole thing. You sometimes don't see your family. You're slogging away. And then two weeks before grand final, you put one shot on or someone slips and falls and you put an elbow into their face or something <laughs> dumb like that. You know what I mean? Like the, the week before and then you sit out. I go, like as much as I was like, bro, you killed Manu's career for the rest of the season, all this other stuff. I'm like, give him a six-week ban. And this is from a Chook supporter. But I feel like sitting out the grand final, like some people will never get, like this could torment them for their life. They could play the whole year, miss the last four games, the grand final. And never have another chance. You know what I mean? Imagine the trail touch wood doesn't happen, throws a socket next year and can't play again. It's like you threw away his one chance. You know what I mean? I feel bad for him that he sits out the grand final. I got to see this hit on Manu. I've not seen it. Oh, mate. Mate, he's fucking... He loses. He loses. I think he's sunk an ice socket and it's fractured. And they say there's one thing, there's one test you can do to see if he does it. So what you do is you hold your nose and you push your air like you pop your ears and um, the trainer tells him to do it and you see this go and it balloons straight away. So there was a hole in his breathe cavity. So when he popped, it pushed his eye out. You saw this big balloon just go pop. But fuck, so he was out for three weeks for the rest of the season and his Christmas, he's in hospital. Like he's got his face reconstructed. So, and that's pretty, like most people would say like, oh, serves him right. I'm like, yeah, bro, but you don't understand. Coming from a Chucky supporter who's big on mental health, you're talking a kid who's worked his ass off. Yeah, split second could throw a fucking punch. In that split second, it's the dumbest thing you've done. But then, mate, this could ruin his life for the rest. Sitting out the last three games in the grand final when they could win and never make another one, his mental health and his life could be depicted from, you know what I mean? It's like there has to be something. Yeah, and this is me talking about South Sport. This was a chook supporter. I'll be burning <laughs> the place down. <laughs> well, mate, our gym's in Botany, so it's mostly uh, South supporters. Yeah, they'll, be, they'll be, yeah. hey, you've, just, you've just resold them. They're hating you for the whole episode, but now they're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> They're like Latrell, fuck these guys are right, and back to Chooks. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, thank you. I really appreciate that. It was um, it was great to catch up. We we've we've crossed paths many times, but actually finding time to have a conversation. Mate, this is amazing. Is, yeah, is rehash this friendship. Mate, I did not see you in nearly five to six, maybe ten years, and then seeing you at that Rise Foundation walk, and then being like. This, I'm like, yeah, we're starting here. And you're like, ah, oh, this is my gym. I was like, what? This is amazing. Like last time, as you said, probably last time I saw you, we were at a punk show in your living room with a skate ramp. Let's be honest. That was it. And now you're a, a father and a gym owner in Botany. And now we put this together. It's amazing. And once lockdown's over, I'm going to come out for a train. I'm, mate, I can't, I can't wait to, this is the start of a long friendship back. It's just rehashed. We just had a 10 minute high, 10 year hiatus. Now we're back. Mate, I'd love that. Come out. We can. You can hit some. I'll do some pads. I don't fuck yeah. with the boxing with the with the Thai boxing classes at our gym because I'm a grappler. But Bro, I, mean, I want you I, to teach you that grappling shit. Well, I know you're a bit of a boxer, so I'll do a fight factory class with you, and we can do a bit of grappling as well if you can. Done. My core's terrible. I haven't touched my toes since I was 15. So maybe we can do some of the core stuff. I'm I'm all kind of fucked up. I got a 50 year old body. Mate, this is this is what we do. This is my wheelhouse. We Done. can fix you. My man. <laughs> um, man, have you got anything to plug? Where can people follow you? Where can um, they find your stuff? 
mate, at the end of the day, I know it's a bit cliche giving myself one, but yeah, at Trentless, T-R-E-N-T-L-E-S-S, that's just my Instagram. And there, you can pretty much find every anything. Um, my label, my band, Marriage Celebrant. And this will probably be, once this time drops, I'll probably have my, my clothing label called Endless Story. Um, that drops in about two weeks. So that website will be live by then. Um, it's just a streetwear clothing label that will hash on a bit of mental health. Um, pretty much raising funds if I can. So I'll do definitely collabs, collabs with a lot of foundations, a lot of stuff to raise awareness and, and yeah, just have a bit of fun with that. So end the story will be launched by then, but, uh, yeah, check out Trentless and, um, you'll be able to find me on everything. Awesome. I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes, bro. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Enjoy your evening and have a great weekend. Have a great well, long weekend. Thanks. So. Yeah, long weekend. Lockdown. Same old shit. <laughs> it's longer inside. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love uh, it. Guys, Enjoy, take care. Trent, my man, thank you. Pleasure. Guys, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, man, Trent's a ball of energy. Epic episode. If uh, any part of that episode spoke to you, please take a screenshot of it. Share it with a friend. If you know there's someone out there who would benefit from hearing the chat, it's a, it's a really cool thing you can do to help spread the message and, and support the show and just to, to give people, um, you know, this stuff that we're putting forward. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. Peace.